Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. On today's episode, we're diving into Henry Hill. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. If you're a podcaster looking to grow your audience and get more engagement, check out Pondex today at pondex.com. Use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. We'd also like to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. If you're a fan of audiobooks from any kind of genre, you want to check out Audible today for a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And as always, send us a voicemail, 682-305-0483. And always leave us your thoughts about the cases we cover, any thoughts you have on the current episode, and any other comments or concerns you have with the show. Now on to today's main topic. Today we're diving into the real good fella, Henry Hill. Henry Hill was an American mobster who was associated with the Luchis crime family of New York City from 1955 until 1980, when he was arrested on narcotics charges and became an FBI informant. He testified against his former mafia associates, resulting in 50 convictions, including those of Captain Paul Varillo and fellow associate James Burke, on multiple charges. He entered the witness protection program, but was removed from the program in the early 1990s. Henry Hill was born on June 11, 1943, in the Manhattan borough of New York City, to Henry Hill, an Irish-American electrician and the son of a coal miner, and Carmela Costa, an Italian immigrant of Sicilian descent. Hill claimed in the book Wise Guy that his father immigrated in the U.S. from Ireland at the age of 12, after the death of Hill's grandfather. 
The working class family, consisting of Henry and his seven other siblings, grew up in Brownsville, a working class neighborhood of Brooklyn. Hill was dyslexic and as a result performed poorly at school. From an early age, Hill admired the local mobsters who socialized socialized and a dispatch cab stand across the street from his home, including Paul Verrio, a captain in the Lucci's crime family in 1955 when he was 11 years old. Hill wandered in looking for a part-time after-school job. In his early teens, Hill began running errands for patrons of the storefront, shoeshine, pizzeria, and cab stand. He fir- first met the notorious hijacker and Lucci's family associate, James Burke, in 1956. 13-year-old Hill served drinks and sandwiches at a card game and was dazzled by Burke's open-handed tipping. He was saw-bucking me to death. 20 here, 20 there. He wasn't like anyone else I'd ever met. The following year, Vario's younger brother, Vito Vario, and Vario's son, Lenny, presented Hill with a highly sought-after union card in the Bricklayers local. Hill would be a no-show and put on a building contractor's construction payroll, guaranteeing him a weekly salary of $190. This didn't mean Hill would be getting or keeping all that money every week. However, he received a portion of it, and the rest was kept and divided among the Vario's. The card also allowed Hill to facilitate the pickup of daily policy bets and loan payments to Vario from local construction sites. Once Hill had this legitimate job, he dropped out of high school and began working exclusively for the gangsters. Hill's first encounter with arson occurred when a rival cab stand opened just around the corner from Vario's businesses. The competing company's owner was from Alabama, new to New York City. Sometime after midnight, Tuddy and Hill drove to the rival cab stand with a drum full of gasoline in the backseat of Tuddy's car. Hill smashed the cab windows and filled them with gasoline-soaked newspapers, then tossed in lit matchbooks. Hill was first arrested when he was 16. His arrest record is one of the few official documents which used his real name. Hill and Lenny attempted to use a stolen credit card to buy snow tires for Tuddy's wife's car. When Hill and Lenny returned to Tuddy's, Two police detectives apprehended Hill. During a rough interrogation, Hill gave his name and nothing else. Uh, Vario's attorney later facilitated his release on bail. While a suspended sentence resulted, Hill's refusal to talk earned him the respect of both Vario and Burke. Burke saw great potential in Hill. Like Burke, he was of Irish ancestry and therefore ineligible to become a made man. The crew, however, were happy to have associates of any ethnicity, so long as they made money and refused to cooperate with the authorities. In June 1960, at around 17 years old, Hill joined the U.S. Army, serving with the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. He claimed the timing was deliberate. The FBI's investigation into the 1957 Appalachian Mob Summit meeting had prompted a Senate investigation into organized crime, and its link with businesses, and unions. This resulted in the publication of a list of nearly 5,000 names of members and associates of the five major crime families. Throughout his three-year enlistment, Hill maintained his mob contacts. He also continued to hustle. In charge of kitchen detail, he sold surplus food, loan shark pay advances to fellow soldiers, and sold tax-free cigarettes. Before his discharge, Hill spent two months in the stockade for stealing a local sheriff's car and brawling in a bar with Marines and a civilian. 
1963, he returned to New York and began the most notorious phase of his criminal career. Arson, intimidation, running an organized stolen car ring, and hijacking trucks. In 1965, Hill met his future wife, Karen, who insisted that Hill accompany his son on a double date at Frank Frankie the Wop Manzo's restaurant. Villa Capra. According to Friedman, the date was disastrous, and Hill stood her up at the next dinner date. Afterward, the two began going on dates at the Copacabana and other nightclubs, where Friedman was introduced to Hill's outwardly impressive lifestyle. The two later got married in a large North Carolina wedding, attended by most of Hill's gangster friends. And now on to probably one of the biggest parts of his life, the Air France robbery. Shortly before midnight on April 6, 1967, excuse me, Hill and DeSimone drove to the Air France cargo terminal at JFK International Airport with an empty suitcase, the largest Hill could find. Inside connection, Robert McMahon said that the two should just walk right in, as people often come to the terminal and pick up lost baggage. DeSimone and Hill entered the unsecured area unchallenged and unlocked the door with a duplicate key. Using a small flashlight, they loaded seven bags into the suitcase and left with over $400,000. No alarm was raised. No shots fired, and no one was injured. The theft was not discovered until the following Monday when a Wells Fargo truck arrived to pick up the cash to be delivered to the French-American Banking Corporation. Hill believed that it was the Air France robbery that endeared him to the mafia. Hill used his share of the robbery money to purchase a restaurant on Queens Boulevard, The Suite initially aimed to run it as a legitimate business and provide distance between itself and his mob associates. However, within several months, the nightclub had become another mob hangout. Hill later said that members of Lucis and Gambino crews moved into the club in mass, including high-ranking Gambino family members who were always there. According to the book Wise Guy, after William Bentvena was released from prison in 1970, a welcome home party was thrown for him at Robert's Lounge which was owned by Burke. Hill stated that Bentvena saw De Simone and jokingly asked him if he still shined shoes, which De Simone perceived as an insult. He leaned over to Hill and Burke and said, I'm going to kill that fuck. Two weeks later, on June 11th, Bentvena was at the suite near closing time when he was pistol whipped by De Simone. Hill said that before De Simone started to beat Bentvena, he yelled, shine these fucking shoes. After he was beaten and presumed killed, DeSimone, Burke, and Hill placed his body in the trunk of Hill's car for transport. They stopped at DeSimone's mother's house to fetch a shovel and a line. They started to hear sounds from the trunk, and when they realized that he was still alive, they stopped the car and beat him to death with a shovel and a tire iron. Burke had a friend who owned a dog kennel in upstate New York, and he was buried there. About three months after his murder, Burke's friend sold the dog kennel to housing developers. Burke ordered Hill and DeSimone to exhume the corpse and dispose of it elsewhere. In the book, Wise Guy, Hill said the body was eventually crushed in a car crusher in a New Jersey junkyard. However, on the commentary for the film Goodfellas, he states that the body was buried in the basement of Robert's Lounge, a bar and restaurant owned by Burke, and only later was put into the car crusher. In November 1972, 
Burke and Hill were arrested for beating Gaspar in Tampa, Florida. He allegedly owned a large gambling debt to their friend, union boss, Casey Rosado. They were convicted of extortion and sentenced to 10 years at the U.S. Penitentiary in Lewisburg. Hill was imprisoned with Vario, who was serving a sentence for tax evasion, and several members of John Gotti's Gambino crew. In Lewisburg, Hill met a man from Pittsburgh who, for a fee, taught Hill how to smuggle drugs into the prison. On July 12, 1978, Hill was paroled after four years and resumed his criminal career. He began trafficking in drugs, which Burke eventually became involved with. Even though the Lucchese crime family with whom they were associated did not authorize any of its members to deal drugs. This Lucchese ban was enacted because the prison sentences imposed on anyone convicted of drug trafficking were so lengthy that the accused would often become informants in exchange for a lesser sentence. Hill began wholesaling marijuana, cocaine, heroin, based on connections he made in prison. He earned enormous amounts of money. A young kid who was a mule of Hill's ratted him out to narcotics detective Daniel Mann and William Broder. The youngster informed them that Hill was connected to the Lucchese family and was a close friend to Vario and to Burke, and, quote, had probably been in on the Lufonza robbery, which we'll cover in a couple minutes. Knowing of Hill's exploits, the detectives put surveillance on him. They found out that Hill's old prison friend from Pittsburgh ran a dog grooming salon as a friend. The two detectives had thousands of wire tips, wire taps of Hill, but Hill and his crew used, used coded languages in the conversations. On December 11, 1978, an estimated $6 million was stolen from the Lufonza cargo terminal at Kennedy Airport. $5 million in cash and 875000 in jewelry, making it the largest cash robbery committed on American soil at the time. The plot had begun when book, bookmaker Martin Krugman told Hill that the Lufonza flew in currency to its cargo terminal at the airport. Burke set the plan in motion, but Hill did not directly take part in the heist. Now, before we move on, if you want to support the show, uh, subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up if you like our video. And you can always buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, be able to pay them, and create even more content and exclusive videos. And now on to the basketball fixing. Hill and two Pittsburgh gamblers set up the 1978-79 Boston College basketball point-shaving scheme by convincing Boston College Center Rick Kuhn to participate. He was a high school friend of one of the gamblers and encouraged teammates to participate in the scheme. He'll also claim to have an NBA referee in his pocket who worked games at Madison Square Garden during the 70s. The referee had incurred gambling debts on horse races. In 1980, Hill was arrested on a narcotics trafficking charge. He became convinced that his former associates planned to have him killed. Vario for dealing drugs and Burke to prevent Hill from implicating him in the heist. Hill heard on a wiretap that his associates, Angelo and Anthony, were anxious to have him killed, and that they were telling Burke that Hill, quote, is no good and is a junkie. Burke told them not to worry about it. Hill was more convinced by a surveillance tape played to him by federal investigators in which Burke, excuse me, tells Vario of their need to have Hill whacked. 
When Hill was released on bail, Burke told them they should meet at a bar, which Will had never heard of or seen before, owned by Charlie the Jet. However, Hill never met Burke there. Instead, they met at Burke's sweatshop with Karen and asked for the address in Florida where Hill was to kill Bobby Germain's son with Anthony. Hill knew he would be murdered if he went to Florida. Edward McDonald, the head of the Brooklyn Organized Crime Strike Force, arrested Hill as a material witness in the Lufonza robbery. With a long sentence hanging over him, Hill agreed to become an informant and signed an agreement with the Strike Force on May 27, 1980. Hill testified against his former associates to avoid impending prosecution and being murdered by his crew. His testimony led to 50 convictions. Hill, his wife Karen, and their two children entered the U.S. Witness Protection Program. In 1980, changed their names and moved around to several undisclosed locations, including Seattle, Washington, Cincinnati, Ohio, Omaha, Nebraska, Butte, Montana, and Independence, Kentucky. Jimmy Burke was given 12 years in prison for the Boston College point-shaving scandal involving fixing Boston College basketball games. Burke was also later sentenced to life in prison for the murder of scam artist Richard Eaton. Burke died of cancer while serving his life sentence on April 13, 1996, at the age of 64. Paul Vario received four years for helping Henry Hill obtain a no-show job to get him paroled from prison. He was also later sentenced to 10 years in prison for the extortion of air freight companies at JFK Airport. He died of respiratory failure on November 22, 1988, at the age of 73, while incarcerated in the FC... Federal Prison in Fort Worth. Hill eventually died of complications related to heart disease in a Los Angeles hospital on June 12, 2012, after a long battle with his illness a day after his 69th birthday. His girlfriend for the last six years of his life, Lisa Caserta, said, quote, he had been sick for a long time. His heart gave out. CBS News aired Caserta's report of Hill's death, during which she stated he went out pretty peacefully for a good fellow. She said Hill had recently had a heart attack before his death and died of complications after a long history of heart problems associated with smoking. Hill's family was present when he died and was cremated the day after his death. Let us know your thoughts on, on this mobster in the comment section below. And as always, subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you like or dislike our video. And hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And you can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Good Pods. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. Follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, Buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at mvmt.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at mvmt.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.